Where does he come up with a thousand holes? You are this crooked. This place is apropos. Rice cake walk, baby. Hogan comes back. This guy went to flash you. Get up against a chain link fence and rake yourself across it. What the fuck are you doing? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nitromania episode number 24. My name is Adam. I'm your host, and all of the events you are about to hear occur in real time. 24, naturally, being the number of carats in 100% pure gold, the number of cycles in the Chinese solar year, and most obviously, 24 is the kissing number in four-dimensional space, the maximum number of unit spheres that can all touch another unit sphere without overlapping. If you hear my son screaming in the background, I apologize. This week, it is our great big super brawl, super sewed, and joining me for this endeavor is the host of the Rundown Sit-Down, the co-host of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jason. How are you, sir? It's awesome, and I feel like this is the perfect episode for me to be on because 124 was my favorite television show, and two, I just finished touching my unit sphere, so... There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Oh, I love 24. Anyway... For those of you who have not been following along, Macho Man will be defending his title against Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan will be fighting the Giant. These are both cage matches, but based on how they've been describing the show, I'm not sure if they are double cage matches, if they are two cage matches that are happening at the same time, or if it's just two separate cage matches. Uh, I guess we'll find out soon enough, because the way things have been going, the world title match will likely open the show, and the meaningless Hogan match will end it. Hmm. Also tonight, Sting and Luger defend the tag team titles against Harlem Heat. Brian Pillman takes on the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan in a respect match, which is apparently the result uh, of a strap match and an I quit match having a baby. Uh, these two men will be connected by a strap, and the first man to make his opponent say, I respect you, wins. Seriously. That's the stipulation. Plus... There'll be a U.S. title match between One Man Gang and Conan, but don't ask me which of those guys is actually the U.S. champion. And if history is any indication, a TV title match between DDP and Johnny B. Bad. Anything you would like to add before we dive in? I just, uh, watching the intros to this show, it really struck me how far we really have come in terms of (laughs) graphics and music on these shows as they do the introductory. No kidding. Then they flash to the announce table. And I see Dusty Rhodes, and I know I'm in for a hell of a ride in commentary. Oh, yes. More on that as we get to it. Uh, It is Sunday, February 11th, 1996, and we are live from St. Petersburg, Florida. We open with an announcer doing his best Todd Pettengill impression as he runs down the card for us. A cage match for the title between Flair and Savage, a cage match between Hogan and Giant, tag title match with Flair and Sting versus Harlem Heat. The winners of that match will face the Road Warriors. Surprise, Johnny B. Bad versus DDP for the TV title, the Diamond Doll, and $6 million, apparently. One Man Gang versus Conan for the U.S. title, a street fight between the Nasty Boys and Public Enemy, and the respect match between Taskmaster and Brian Pillman. Your announced team this evening is Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. Tony asks Dusty about the cage match between Hogan and Giant, and Dusty says he can smell danger in the area. I don't want to know about danger in Dusty's area. Tony asks Heenan about the cage match between Savage and Flair, and Heenan promises that we'll get a new championship, a new champion, rather, and the end of Hulk Hogan. Fingers crossed. Uh, To be fair, Bobby's been saying that for like two decades. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Your opening contest is the aforementioned street fight. Super Brawl has the same set as Clash of the Champions, a pyramid of rigging covered in lights in front of a shiny silver curtain. Uh, as the Nasties enter, Shivani feels the need to point out that they're not wearing boots, but instead tennis shoes. Shivani then tells us that since this is a street fight, Randy Eller's only job is to count people out. I feel like he means pinfalls, but that's not what he said. Also, Randy Eller is terrible, so he may think it's to count people out. Uh, Rocco immediately grabs a table, and for once, it's an actual folding table and not these strange 2 by 4 tables that they've used in the past. Uh, Sags then beats the shit out of everyone with a chair. Uh, of note, Public Enemy are wearing jerseys, like baseball jerseys. Rock is number double zero, and Grunge is number 69. Because it's funny. This match is impossible to, to follow because the two teams refuse to stay anywhere near each other in the arena. 
Grunge gets a pile driver on a trash can and beats the three count by putting his foot on the rope because this is a no disqualification falls count anywhere street fight, but there are still rope breaks. Meanwhile, over at a fake merchandise stand, Sags suplexes Rock through a table the long way, and it just so happens to break perfectly down the middle. He then goes for a pin, but the referee is nowhere to be found because he's following around the other two guys. Sags then suplexes the table onto Rock. Don't think that's how that works. Uh, the end of the match comes when Rock tries to hit a senton on Knobs through a table from the stands, but Knobs moves, causing Rock to get nothing but pin, nothing but table, and then get pinned. Your thoughts on this clusterfuck? Okay, well, I got some junk drawer items on this. <laughs> okay. As I'm going through this, first off, as Public Enemy enters the ring, I think we see what are, in my opinion, the ugliest ring girls in the history of professional <laughs> wrestling. Um, so you can tell this was a deep, deep Southern territory. But that said, uh, Nasty Boys theme song was fucking awful. Um, but this is back in the era of really awful WCW theme songs. I had just forgotten how bad that particular one was. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a reference to the point where uh, Rock charges at Sags holding a table, and Sags just beats the shit out of him with a chair, reminding us all that you don't bring a chair, a table, to a chair fight. <laughs> um, no, there wouldn't, much, there wouldn't be a chairs match for at least another 20 years. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then eventually a stairs match. You. Um <laughs> It, it gets uncomfortable now going back in time watching some of these unprotected chair shots yeah. to the head. Just ew, you cringe a little bit. Um, you mentioned WCW has a concession stand set up in a barricaded area where none of the fans can get to. So that, was, <laughs> that was creative. Um, there was one of the worst executed pile drivers I ever saw when Sags leaned to the side as he delivered his pile driver onto the trash can. Uh, you talked about knobs with the cover with no referee. Uh, we had, what else? We had Sags fell to the ground while dropping a table on Rocco Rock. And I'm still trying to figure out the physics on that where taking it and sort of suplexing it rather than just throwing it makes it hurt more. I don't know. It just seemed like a, an unnecessary risk for Sags to take to himself <laughs> there. Um, the finish, it didn't even look like you said he got a lot. Of, it didn't even look like he got a lot of table. It looked like he pretty much missed the table and went straight through <laughs> to the floor. Um, I, my favorite part, though, was Tony says it wasn't a street fight, but a souvenir stand fight, which was probably apropos. Uh, Dusty then responded, saying that they went all over the building, apparently Dusty believing that the building only exists in the <laughs> ring and the concession stand area. In that one room that they're in. Oh, garbage. Uh, Shivani again says there's a double cage match tonight, but again, I don't think that means what they think it means. Tony sends us back to Mean Gene. Pull up your socks and get ready. Who tells us that on the hotline, you can hear about two former WWF champions who may be coming over to WCW. This is even a surprise to the office up in the New York area. Wonder who they could be talking about. Well, interesting to note here. I don't know if you caught this, but at least on my version of the WWE Network's uh, display of this event, they blur out the yeah. 900 number for the hotline, yeah. but it takes the form of three H's. <laughs> Just saying. I didn't notice that at all. Um, Go back and look. I'm telling I'll you. Have it's to. like three H's and an exclamation yeah. point is what it looks like. Gene brings in Conan, who holds the U.S. and Mexican titles. Conan enters holding just the U.S. title and talks to and points at something just below the camera. He thanks all the Latins, then speaks in Spanish and promises to beat one man gang and keep his United States championship. Very awkward promo. Gene sends us back to the ring for the TV title match. Was this as awkward to you as it was to me? I just want to know what in the absolute fuck Conan was wearing. That was... <laughs> yeah. It looked like yeah. it looked, looked like he tore the sheets off of like a La Quinta hotel <laughs> in the middle of Tijuana and just sewed it into a ring jacket. That was awful. Uh, yeah, he's not figured out the outfit yet. There's more of that in, in the coming weeks. Uh, and, apparently, and at, at any point, do they actually show this Mexican championship, or does it just exist in the ether somewhere? At Clash of the Champions, it appeared because he defended it against Psychosis. It literally, as I said in that episode, it looks like one of the plastic belts you buy at Walmart. It's I, I don't know if it's ever heard of again or, or well, yeah, I, allow we've seen me, it all of one was, time on this I show. was following this at this particular point in time, in real time, um, and trust me, it does not hold up. But <laughs> uh, 
what I can tell you is I believe the the Mexican championship that Conan is referring to is actually the North Americans championship from the AAA promotion that he held at the time he came to WCW. Uh, and then uh, they wanted it back, and he said, fuck you, and kept it. And they turned it into the Mexican championship. Ric Flair style. Yes. Big gold belt. <laughs> the little plastic belt. All right. Uh, apparently, the, the the next match is the TV title match. It, apparently, this match is the television championship and Diamond Doll versus the rest of DDP's money, quote-unquote, which amounts to $6.6 million. Given that none of this has happened on Nitro, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> what I do know is that Jimmy Jett spends the entire pre-match time sp- standing in the ring holding a giant novelty check made out to cash in the amount of $6.6 million. Signed if by I, Diamond Dallas. That's yeah, it. If, if I were Jet, personally, I'd say, fuck Super Brawl and run to the nearest bank. Johnny throws a few Frisbees out, and then Kimberly gets the opportunity to shoot Johnny's load of confetti all over the crowd. DDP enters with roses for his doll. She refuses them. Johnny attacks him outside the ring, and the bell rings. Uh, Bad basically snapmares Paige from the ring to the floor, and we get more excuses for why it's not a disqualification. We then get a fun bit of commentary where Dusty tries to describe what Bobby said DDP had spent the money on. The deal was made. Jimmy Bad is in there not only to, to get his time back, but the money will go back to her. What, what money is left that, as you say, Dallas spent on birds, saving striped birds and, and red, red pigeons out in Africa. And that ain't gonna happen. That didn't happen. You made that up. I think my favorite part of that is either where he says what I believe might be the phrase red stripy birds. Or the, or the very end where he bluntly tells Bobby, you made that up, as though he's not used to that by now. Uh, apparently this money situation is something about Kimberly winning on a bingo card that DDP had purchased for her. So DDP took the money and started spending it as his own. I don't fucking know. DDP spends much of the beginning of the match on the offensive. Then we get a stupid spot where DDP hits a float over DDT. But instead of pinning Johnny B. Bad, he runs around the ring celebrating, then demanding twice that Kimberly give him a 10. She obviously denies and gives him a zero, which infuriates him so much that he stumbles backwards, trips over Johnny, and gets pinned for two, thanks to Johnny having a handful of his tights. They then take time during the match to show us the Spanish announce team, and Tony tells them to wave, right as the crane cam pulls off of them and goes back to the ring. They trade sleeper holds, and then Johnny wins the match, retaining the title, retaining girl, and winning the $6.6 million for Kimberly. Your thoughts on this match? Oh, another one was just so much awesomeness. Uh, first, off, <laughs> first off, match prior to the match, Linda Hogan sighting in the audience, which was exciting. <laughs> I haven't seen her in a while. Um, the WCW TV title, for my money, one of the more underrated championship belts in history. I always like the look of that belt. Uh, DDP's music, awful, equally mm-hmm. as awful as the Nasty Boys. Not, not great. <laughs> not great at all there. Um, yeah, we're I, a few years away from self high five at this point. Exactly. You talked about the uh, snapmare over the top rope. Uh, I just found it entertaining how Tony tried to defend putting that moronic spot into the match. Uh, and putting the announcer in that awkward position of having to try to explain that. Um, they do that all the time, though. Yeah, and, and then they continue to tell the story how Johnny, the face in this match, took Paige's title, stole his woman, now wants to take all his money because he's the <laughs> face. Um, I will say this, Mark Marrow, watching this match, much better worker than I remembered back at this time, especially yeah. prior to before he blew out his knee. Yeah. Um, but he had a, lot, a ton of charisma, and just I thought he was actually a much better performer in this match than I remembered mm-hmm. him being. Um, DDP executed one of the worst leapfrogs I've ever seen, where he just kind of <laughs> he started to get up in the air and then went fuck it and just went to the side. Uh, that was interesting. Tony at one point says that uh, Paige is lucky that Kimberly hasn't tried to get the money through legal means, because you know fuck the court system when you can pick a wrestler to fight on your behalf at Super Bowl Super Brawl for all of your marital assets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paige picks up bad and brain says it's like a bag of wheat, but I had to rewind it to find out what bag he said sounded like something different. <laughs> and given that it was a wrestling locker room, I had to rewind to be sure. And given uh, that he swore at clash of the champions. Yes. Uh, you, you mentioned the DDT that Paige executed. What you didn't mention was that Kimberly totally forgot her spot, jumped up and down with a big smile on her face as Paige executed the DDT, then realized, shit, I'm in Johnny's corner. 
uh, then <laughs> grabbed the number, hit, hit him with the zero, and you said he stumbled backwards because he was infuriated. I think they just blew the spot. I think pay, I think Kimberly was supposed to hit him with the card, oh. and he just sold it as if it happened, even though she completely <laughs> whiffed on it. That was so. That was awful. Uh, at one point, Diamond Dallas climbs the ropes while he's got a chin lock applied, and the ref is cool. No reason to break that hold. Uh, and then Johnny wins with the tombstone, gives the check to Kimberly, and all is well with the world because now Johnny has taken everything from Diamond Dallas Page, and the face can go on to celebrate destroying a man's life. Yeah, and thankfully we never see DDP ever again. Oh, wait. Anyways, uh, backstage... Gene is with Harlem Heat. He reminds them that they lost the belts, then asks about winning them back. Stevie Ray says Luger committed grand larceny, and tonight they get what's coming to them. Booker T calls them sissified suckas, punks, straight glitter boys, and college punks. Eh, 50-50. Uh, he says they refuse to leave tonight without the belts, which makes me think they're going to be in St. Petersburg for a long time. Uh, Gene reminds them that if they do win, they then need to fight the Road Warriors, and Booker calls the Road Warriors old. Back to the desk, Shivani reminds us that Sting was very upset with how the match ended on Monday, despite, as I mentioned last week, him not having been able to see what happened at the time that it happened. Bobby makes the obvious point that the Road Warriors are going to be coming in fresh to face a team that's already fought. So we move on to the tag title match, the first of two tag title matches this evening. Harlem Heat enter first. Sting... And Luger, oh, actually kind of enter together tonight as opposed to Luger entering about three car lengths behind Sting. Luger tries to start the match in the wrong corner and appears to get upset with the cameraman who is trying to get back into his position on the ring apron. Booker starts the match with Sting. A lot of back and forth here. Shivani really trying to make a story out of the dissension between Luger and Sting, but there's not actually much of that going on in this match. Uh, during the match, Luger manages to hit Booker with one of the worst-looking clotheslines I've ever seen. We also get another piece of gold from Dusty. I, no, I beg to differ with you. Sting is not a dummy. Now, you're right. You know, Sting is not a dummy. Sting is a great athlete. Uh, athlete. What I say? Athlete? He got me all flubbergasted about when he's talking about a dummy. Bottom line is, Sting is ready to go. He just needs a tag. And he's going to get it right now. For those of you keeping score at home, that's one red stripey bird, one athlete, and our secret word of the evening, flubbergasted. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Nick Patrick doesn't see the aforementioned tag, however, and beats the hell uh, out of uh, Booker and Stevie Ray, while Nick Patrick does mostly nothing. I'm going to guess that uh, I missed uh, probably a sting in there. Uh, he follows Sting and Booker out of the ring while the Road Warriors run out and smack Stevie Ray in the stomach, not the back, as Tony screamed, with that same weightlifting plate from Monday. Stevie collapses, Luger on top of him, Nick Patrick counts to three. Mean Gene is in the aisle waiting for the winners and still tag team champions, Sting and Luger. Sting didn't see what happened and didn't seem to care. They're both just very excited that they now have another match tonight. Your thoughts on the first tag title match? Well, uh, just to go back to the interview for a second, I don't know oh. if you caught this one, but the, the greatest line of that entire interview was Booker T at one point said, they pulled on us when we was supposed to be pulling on them. So <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what that means, but it sounds really hot. Something, um, something glitter boys. Yes, there you go. Uh, Booker, not his best promo work. He would get better as the years went by, uh, but he did end the promo holding up five fingers, indicating he can see the future. Uh, <laughs> Harlem Heat, one of the best WCW theme songs of all time. Man Called Sting, not so much. Uh, love the WCW tag belts as well as the TV belts. So those, those are two of my favorites from back in this time. Uh, the trapezius lock, still one of the dumbest moves in the history of professional <laughs> wrestling. Uh, and it stayed on for about 20 minutes in this match. Yeah. Uh, at the very beginning. Wait, wait, their- <laughs> wait till the next title match. The next tag title match. Jesus. At the very beginning, Tony tells us that the Road Warriors are going to get involved, and they do, so thanks for the spoiler, dick. Uh, (laughs) Luger falling, just dying and falling on top for the pin might be the best wrestling move of his entire career. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sting looked like an idiot celebrating after Gene asks him if they saw what happened and just not caring. So all in all, thought Sting looked kind of stupid in this match. Yep. Well, I've been saying that for weeks. This whole Sting Luger thing is making Sting look like a goddamn moron. Uh, 
Back at the booth, Bobby is still not convinced that Sting and Luger are on the same page. Shivani says double cage match again, and now it's U.S. title time. Uh, of note, at this point, they are apparently spelling Conan with only one N in the middle. And also, he wears a really stupid mask to the ring. During this match, we get a shot of a generic white guy in the crowd who turns out to be the driver of the WCW race car. Yay. Shivani promises us more information to come on WCW Motorsports on all WCW programming. Can't wait for that. Conan then hits Gang with two or three drop kicks, then goes off the ropes and takes a back bump. Shivani tells us that Gang sidestepped it, but I watched it five or six times and there wasn't even a move attempted. Uh, Gang hits a splash, but picks Conan up at two. He then goes to the second rope, but Conan avoids the splash. Conan runs the ropes, hits another sloppy-looking somersault senton, and pins Gang to retain his United States title. What a terrible match. <laughs> Absolutely. This was This was awful. Uh, the highlight of this match might have been Conan wearing the mask down, then taking it off, sort of like the reverse avatar in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah the, Why the, am I wearing the genie pants? <laughs> the awful spinning heel kick, the second rope drop kick where he held on to the ropes, uh, then the cross body through the ropes that sort of felt like it just happened in slow motion. Uh, it was just a step slow on everything. My favorite line of the match, Dusty Rhodes on commentary just yelling, fist him in the head. <laughs> Not sure he knows how fisting works. Uh, there's, of course, nothing more Southern than cutting from your live wrestling match to show your NASCAR driver in the crowd. Uh, Conan, worst head scissors takeover ever, and I will stand by that to this day. Uh, then just fucking took a back bump for no reason. Just, yeah. just fell down. Just, hey, I'm just going to fall on my back for you. Um, gang, I liked how he waited until Conan was safely out of the way before beginning his splash off the second <laughs> rope. That was a nice touch. You know, got to keep the guys safe. Uh, all in all, this match, the, just the timing of these two guys was awful. They were not yeah. on the same page at all in this one. No. Uh, and it definitely suffered as a result of it. So eh, not, not my favorite match on this show. Mm-hmm. All right. Mean Gene is backstage. He feels the need to tell us about a sewage problem for some reason. Uh, I, uh, I can explain that, though, Adam. Okay. He wanted to make sure that we knew that the ring wasn't the only place we get the drizzling shits in WCW. <laughs> Boom! He then pimps the hotline again. Gene brings in the Road Warriors. Apparently the red isn't trademarked as they're wearing their classic colors tonight. Animal tells us that basically they helped Luger win so that they can then beat the crap out of him and get their revenge from Monday night. Hawk threatens... <laughs> sorry, I just remembered this program. Hawk, thre- Hawk threatens to deviate their septums and detach their retinas. Come on, Hawk. Hey, Come detach, on. Detach retinas, nothing to joke about, man. <laughs> Oh, my boy. mom had that. It was a pain. She had to sit face down for a week. It sucks. That's that's inconvenience right there. Up next is the respect match. Giovanni finally calls it a combination of a strap match and an I quit match. For some reason, Brian Pillman has the strap and not the referee. Uh, they never even get hooked up as Billman, as Pillman beats Sullivan with the strap for about 30 seconds, gets punched a couple times, and then grabs the mic from the ref and says, I respect you, Booker man, and leaves, flipping off the crowd as he goes down the aisle. Arn Anderson comes out, presumably to fill the time that was supposed to be taken up by this match, and Anderson basically takes Pillman's place. Uh, Anderson, by the way, comes out wearing a polo shirt and red khaki shorts. It's a good look. It's a good look. Uh, they fight for a while, then Jimmy Hart brings Flair out. Flair ends things by cutting a promo, telling them to work together to end Hogan and Savage. He promises to leave with the title and Elizabeth. Anderson says that to end Savage and Hogan, he would make a deal with the devil himself. He gives the mic to Sullivan, but Flair then takes it right back and raves like a lunatic as Anderson and Sullivan shake hands. Oh boy. Flair is really the king of the blabbering nonsensical promo at this point in his career that's that's what worked for him at the time though man um this this match actually has a ton of historical context yes so I was yes it's sort does. of excited to get into this one a little bit first off great intensity by pillman as he's running down to the ring uh not not showmanship at all looked like he really wanted to just beat the shit out of kevin sullivan um which added a ton of realism to this match these guys were stiffing each other these guys had an agenda in this match to get across, and they absolutely did that. Uh, this was Brian Pillman's last match in WCW. We'll get to that. His last in-ring performance. Oh, I didn't know you were going to get to that. I'm just 
Go ahead. Well, you know, no, we'll get to that at the end when we have to, we do the banners and the dumpsters. Ah, we'll okay. get to that. Okay, well, go ahead. We'll do that later. Um, the Booker Man line that he drops here because it was part of the angle was cut out of the WCW tape release of this show just to sort of sell the point. Um, Anderson absolutely wins best dressed of the night. No doubt about it. <laughs> the, uh, the sneakers with the high white socks put it over the top for me. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Hart came out with Anderson. Then when Anderson started to fight, he went back and got Flair, came out with Flair. So Jimmy Hart, I take it back. Jimmy Hart, the ugliest ringside girl in the, show, in the promotion. <laughs> uh, we go backstage, speaking of Jimmy, to Gene with Jimmy Hart and the Giant. Jimmy tells us that time is ticking away on Hulkamania. Gene calls Jimmy annoying, then asks the giant about facing an immortal being tonight. Giant tells us that he's looked into the souls of men and that he is filled with all that is bad and evil and that he's going to erupt all over Hogan in the cage. Sexy. The last thing that's going to go through Hogan's mind is Giant's fist. Jimmy then returns to make fun of Hogan's shitty film and television career. Giant then threatens to beat the snot out of Mean Gene if he says the name Hulk Hogan one more time. Any notes on that promo? Uh, just that uh, it was. This was probably the best look of Giant's career. Like he looked yeah. like a badass in this, and that just struck me. Ready to erupt all over Hulk Hogan? Yes. Well, who isn't? And and I you, they do keep bringing back this double steel cage comment. It's sort of like if you got two dildos, you don't have a double-ended dildo. <laughs> exactly. Just like two of them doesn't make it a double. It has to be, you know, so I get your point. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. Back to the ring for the second tag title match. Road Warriors enter first. Again, Road Warriors is one word in WCW, and that, I guarantee, is a trademark thing. The Road Warriors, one word. Then basically chase Luger out of the ringside area. Sting has to run him down in the entranceway to talk him into fighting in the match. This then happens again. And then a third time. And a fourth time. And finally the match begins. And holy fuck, that was annoying. We then get a very odd spot that starts with a botched neck breaker, then transitions into some ground wrestling, ending in an STF on Sting. Uh, a pretty decent back-and-forth tag match ensues until, at one point, Animal and Sting no-sell each other's suplexes, and then it all breaks down. The two teams begin to brawl, and the match ends in a double countout. Hooray! Uh, I said hooray when I heard Man Called Sting for the second time in the same <laughs> night. Uh, weird, weird to me that the first time they left, they were on the same page, but like 20 minutes later, they have to walk down 20 feet apart. <laughs> That struck me as a little strange. Uh, it's Luger's scared, brother. <laughs> I just took the note, Luger is a pussy. I assume yep. that's, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I want to thank um, Henry Hugepex because now I'm listening for the Luger thing when he sells, and he's absolutely right. I never oh, 100%. It, absolutely. watched it the first time. Um, I actually He does it when he sells. He yeah. does it when he hits moves. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to this match to this point in the show – actually had the best storytelling of any match on the show. I thought they actually <laughs> did a pretty good job selling the Luger as a pussy and mm -hmm. LOD's okay with Sting. They just want to get it Luger. I thought they actually told it. Uh, really struck me. This might have been... Uh, Sting was great during his run with Ric Flair back in the early 90s. This might, might have been some of his best work at this time period. He was really at the top of his game, I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, it did get a little sloppy. You didn't even touch on the spot that I saw when they, uh, the LOD had Sting and they tried to do the double throw back into the corner, except Sting thought it was going to be an Irish whip, so he ran in the opposite direction <laughs> and then hit a horrible clothesline, and then it just went, everybody started running in because they all got lost. Um, and, of course, I love the fact that they went – 20 minutes at the start of this match with everyone out on the floor. And then at the end, the ref decides, you know what? Now I'll start counting them out. <laughs> the bell rung at that part. Uh, who cares? Yeah, that <laughs> it's WCW. Does it matter at this point? Didn't. Uh, no. uh, back to Gene, who is with flair and woman flair cuts a typically insane promo. And then for some reason, Gene decides to ask if he and woman are going to fuck if he wins. He says he'll have his pick of woman and Elizabeth, but he's not going to tell us who he's going to pick. 
I had to the same note about what Gene asked him because yeah. I'm like, what? I should odd, have. I, odd I should. I should go back and, and record the audio and drop that in. You maybe I'll, do, maybe I'll actually do that. Uh, right here. If you should win, do I dare ask, uh, Mr. Flair, will there be a little ride on Space Mountain? <laughs> well, think about it. I'll have woman on my left and Liz on my right, but I won't tell anybody who I'll be with tonight. Thank you, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Woman, I thank you very much. Okay. To the arena as the cage comes down to some generic rock music. We then get an ad for our next pay-per-view offering, WCW Uncensored, on March 24th. Gene is then backstage with Elizabeth. He asks her a question, and Macho Man runs in to interrupt. He talks about the Mega Powers, says something about complete mental insanity, and then quotes Buzz Lightyear again, proving his point. Gene sends us to the desk, and Bobby, for reasons unknown, is facing the wrong direction, and that makes me laugh. Bobby tells us that the cage has a top, which it doesn't. And then Tony tells us that a WCW cage match is like no other cage match you've seen and sends us to Michael Buffer. Buffer then spends the next six hours introducing Flair and Savage. Of note, during Randy's entrance, a fan hands him a Slim Jim, which he kisses and then hands back. Very disappointed he didn't snap into it. (laughs) Yeah. Tony hints that this match might go the full 60 minutes. A quick look at my WWE Network progress bar says this is patently untrue. Flair grabs a mic and says he's giving Elizabeth one last chance to walk over and kiss a real man. Flair refuses to get in the ring for a while, thankfully not nearly as long as Luger did, but the match finally begins. Randy Eller, the world's worst referee, completely misses the first pinfall attempt of the match because he waited a couple minutes after the match began to actually close and lock the cage door. Lock being a relative term. Yeah. Flair sends Savage into the cage and and Savage ends up stuck upside down in the ropes. Flair stomps Savage a couple times and then punches Randy Eller square in the mouth, which he deserves. (laughs) Flair stomps him for good measure, and it turns out that Eller is only out long enough to miss a backslide by Savage. He gets back up right after that and barely shows any ill effects. Doesn't even slow down his count. Savage's elbow, by the way, still taped. A top rope Flair spot leads to Savage putting Flair in the figure four, which gives us a couple of near falls and then a, and a whole lot of woman screaming. Savage decides to try an elbow drop from the top of the cage, but by the time he got up there, Flair had stood up. Savage jumps anyways and gets a fist to the gut for his troubles. Flair then throws Savage into the cage again, and he gets stuck again, and Dusty calls his calls that his mode of referendum. I think he meant modus operandi, but I can't be sure. Uh, Flair then locks Savage in the figure four, and Savage grabs the bottom of the cage. What was explained to us in Savage's figure four of there being no rope breaks because it's a cage match going as so far as to have Eller kick Flair's arms to get them off the ropes now immediately becomes a rope break with Eller literally trying to pull Flair out of the hold. I hate this company. Macho Man, or The Mach, as Dusty keeps calling him, starts no-selling Flair's chops, then throws him into the cage and grates his face across the steel. Macho then chews on Flair's head for a good measure. Uh, for a good minute, minute and a half, uh, Flair is now busted open. Surprise. Flair climbs back to the top and acts like he's trying to climb out of the cage, so Savage pulls Flair's pants down. Savage then crotches Flair on the top rope, then pins him for two, which causes the timekeeper to ring the bell. Uh, a low blow and a choke, and Flair tries to climb out again, so Savage pulls his pants down again. And honestly, I don't even know if you can win this match by escape. Savage smashes Flair's face against the cage wall, which makes the door fly open because Randy Eller is the drizzling shits. Woman tries to throw powder in Randy's eyes, but Randy avoids it. Eller scolds Woman while Elizabeth gives her shoe to Flair. Randy rolls Savage up for two. Flair clocks Savage with the shoe and pins him for three. Ric Flair is your 13-time world champion. Elizabeth and Woman make nice, then Hogan runs to the ring. Woman and Elizabeth run for their lives, and Hogan enters the ring with a chair to try and beat the hell out of Flair and Anderson, who appeared out of nowhere. The heels celebrate. Hogan walks with the referees who are helping Savage to the back. Note that Hogan is not actually doing anything to help his friend. 
your thoughts on the world title cage match and the shocking turn of Miss Elizabeth. Well, we should have known we were in a bad place when uh, Savage opened his promo talking about they were the mega powers because that didn't work out so well the last time they <laughs> tried it. Uh, I had the same note about Heenan being backwards, which was funny to me because he tried to turn a couple times and went the wrong way and they had to sort of direct them, <laughs> um, which was I just laughed hysterically for that. Uh, so buffer for the first of two times. Let's get ready to rumble. If they've already gotten ready to rumble for this one, wouldn't they still be ready <laughs> for the second one? I'm just, I mean, once you, how many times can you get ready to rumble? If the, I, I don't know. I don't know what the math on that is. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was all sorts of craziness. Uh, Savage's music comes out, and we got this great close-up on all the lights at the entranceway. I don't know what that was about. Uh, and then he got very lame Gilbert-esque style pyro. It was like little <laughs> sparklers going off. It's almost like don't bother doing it if you can't do it at all. Uh, you talked about Tony says it's going to be 60 minutes in the cage, but then he followed it up with, but they will stay right here for as long as it takes. So which one is it? You said it's 60 minutes in the cage, but you're going to stay as long as it takes. So if it takes 65 minutes, which way do we go? Because those two things are in conflict. <laughs> I'm very confused before this match even starts. Um, for a blood feud that this was supposedly uh, coming into it, he sure went for a pinfall very quickly. He was, <laughs> he was more concerned with winning this match than he was with hurting him. Uh the ref, yeah, popped up. Randy Eller's sweet, sweet mullet on Randy, Randy Eller. <laughs> I, I do want to point that out. Um, very business in the front party in the back on that guy. Uh, <laughs> the ref pops up a minute later after getting hit in the face. Absolutely. To which prompts Tony to say, it's amazing. The ref's even in here. Well, yeah, of course it is. Cause flair pretty much just killed him a second ago. <laughs> it's pretty bad when the referee is no selling your shit. I'm just saying, um, dusty at one point, the only way the horseman can get in here would be to drop from the ceiling. Cause you know, nobody's ever climbed into a steel cage before they can climb out. Climbing in defies nope, the laws of physics. <laughs> um, well remember sort of, it has a top is what Bobby told us sort of uncomfortable moment I don't know if you caught this at one point we see a shot of woman close up followed by Tony saying well we haven't seen Benoit yet and I really cringed I really did <laughs> it was uncomfortable uh, no Benoit on this show by the way which was a little weird uh, Flair goes to the top um, and Savage slams him off the top rope because that's a shocker I really expected Flair to hit something off the top rope because you know <laughs> Uh, every match, every match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Savage let go of his figure four and just straight up kicked Ric Flair right in the fucking face. Like, <laughs> oh, that, that hurt just listening to it. Um, Savage is selling though when he got thrown into the cage. I thought it was amazing. He sold that like he got just thrown straight full force into a brick wall. He did a great <laughs> job of that. Uh, at one point, Flair dropped an elbow in slow motion, and I'm thinking that shit's never gonna get over. Um, you talked about the bottom of the cage and he pulls him off. I'm like, what the fuck? Like you just told us five minutes ago, exactly what you said. Like this, there's no rope breaks except unless you're macho man, in which case the fucking referee will grab Ric Flair by I guess, his hair and pull I him guess, off. I guess, I guess there's no rope breaks, but there are cage breaks. Uh, apparently I don't, I don't <laughs> fucking know what that was about. Uh, when you talk, when he was in the corner biting him, that's when Savage was doing the favors and cutting Flair, uh, yeah. because Flair has to bleed in the cage. Another of shocker. Course. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just have, there's Flair's ass. Um, <laughs> there it is again. Two, two count and the bell rings. What the fuck? <laughs> there, oh, and there's Flair's ass again. <laughs> Flair gets driven headfirst into the cage and the door opens. What the fuck? <laughs> and Ric Flair's ass part three. That was the stream of consciousness. I, consciousness I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that on the second time when, when Savage pulled Flair's pants down, at least he did it with Flair's ass facing the hard cam that time. Yeah, absolutely, because if you're going to show Ric Flair's ass, you might as well do it to the hard cam. Right. Um, Flair gets his shoe from Liz and then hides it, you know, because there's disqualifications. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there weren't, there weren't rope breaks, and suddenly there were rope breaks, so who the fuck knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Hogan came out to stalk Liz and woman with a chair because he's a face. Um, yep. But ultimately, the, the the thing that really stuck with me from this match is Savage gets driven into a steel cage headfirst repeatedly, but a woman's shoe to the head <laughs> was too much for him to overcome. Yep. I, I just feel bad for Macho Man. And I don't know if you caught this, and, and I could be mistaken, because I had to rewind it a couple times, and I never got a clear thing. As Hogan is helping Savage out, I heard either a Hogan sucks chant, a pretty pretty audible one, or they were mm -hmm. saying horsemen suck. I don't know which. But it sounded like Hogan sucks to me. 
Yeah. Well, I have in my next notes the match starts with an audible Hogan sucks chant. So huh. likely the same folks. There you go. Uh, if only they could I mean, take this and turn this into some sort of a heel turn for Hogan, but that'll, that uh, shit will never, never happen. Never, never, ever. Gene is then in the back with Hogan. Hogan doesn't understand why Elizabeth would turn with side with Flair and then mentions, of all things, their legal separation four years ago. Good friend. Hogan then tells us that his cage match is unsanctioned, that the referee will be outside the cage, and that the only way to win is to escape the cage. Hogan says that God will be watching his back, and Gene sends us out to Michael W. Buffer. I don't know why he threw in the W, but Michael W. Buffer in the ring. Buffer announces Giant as the man who literally returned from the dead last October. <sighs> Hogan, because he's an idiot, enters the cage by climbing over the top. Giant, because Not dropping he's dropping from the an- ceiling. Dusty Rhodes right. is shocked. Giant, because he's an idiot, doesn't attack Hogan while he does this. Uh, as we said, the match starts with an audible Hogan sucks chant from a portion of the fans. Hogan starts on the offensive, but after a few minutes, the Giant takes control. The eye bandage gets ripped off. Hogan gets the snot beaten out of him for a while and then walks into a bear hug. I'm not saying Hogan shit himself, but there is a curious dark spot on the back of Hogan's trunks right by his asshole. Hogan then no-sells a choke slam. Three punches, Hogan throws Giant into the cage about 1,400 times. A big boot staggers the Giant, which he has to sell for far too long, so Hogan can tell the people that he's going to body slam him. He then leg drops Giant three or four times and begins to climb the cage. Giant sits up like the Undertaker, and the two men fight on the top rope. Hogan drops Giant to the canvas, then takes a few tries to swing his leg over the top of the cage. Hogan drops to the floor and wins. Of course he does, then gets hit in the back with a chair by Kevin Sullivan. This he sells for about four seconds, then chases Sullivan back into the cage. The entire rest of the dungeon comes out. Hogan, of course, fights them all off. Jimmy and Kevin Sullivan and the giant go back and get the Loch Ness monster. But then the entire dungeon prevents the monster from getting into the cage. Because that makes sense. Mm. Just in case you were wondering who wrote this segment, Hogan just fended off ten guys by himself with a chair. Shivani promises us the debut debut of Devin Storm, Randy Savage if he's not too hurt, Loch Ness, and Hogan versus Anderson tomorrow night on Nitro. Heenan says someone's going to have to ask Elizabeth why she did what she did. Shivani then promises us an interview with that WCW Motorsports guy, and we go to credits with Hogan celebrating. I thought the show was okay as a whole. Uh, the street fight loses a few marks just simply because of the chaos of it. The TV title match was as good as the other two matches we've seen between Johnny B. Bad and DDP. The first tag title match was passable, nothing too offensive. The second one was much worse, thanks to Luger's stalling in the beginning and the non-finish. The U.S. title match was garbage. The first strap match didn't actually happen, something I'm still not sure was scripted or not. Uh, the second, you can't really grade if it was impromptu and then it ends with Flair running out and being a maniac. The world title match I actually enjoyed, despite the shitty officiating with a nice little swerve at the end. And the Hogan match was typical Hogan Pablum, where he just gets the crap beaten out of him, but comes back from the brink of disaster and wins. And then he successfully fought off ten guys in a cage with just a steel chair. Your thoughts on Super Brawl 6? As a whole. Well, I guess let me just start off with the uh, the, ch- the championship, ma- not the chance, the main event match, because I got a couple yeah. of, uh, I got some notes on that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, did, is it just me, or did Hogan completely change the, the rules of the match on the fly in his promo before the match? Because at no point <laughs> prior to this did they say anything about it being unsanctioned. Uh, there was never any Or escape of, only. <laughs> yeah, there's never any mention of that. Um, you can go over the top or out the door only. Given how easily we've seen that door opens in the previous match, <laughs> I know which way I would go. Um, yeah. uh, buffer with for the second time tonight. Let's get ready. And I already called you on your bullshit on that one, Buffer. Um, <laughs> the, the man who literally returned from the dead last October. Yeah. Uh, Shivani, exactly, with uh, Buffer with return from the dead. They're not even hiding the absurdity at that point. <laughs> uh, of course, my, one of my favorite lines of the entire night, because I doubled over laughing, uh, somebody said Hogan, and they, Ho, and I'm sorry, Hogan, with his wrestling skills, place him among the greats ever. That was Michael Buffer, sorry. 
his wrestling skills. Just let that sink in for a second. Uh, Hogan starts <laughs> the, the man, match. The with, man who could barely get his leg over the top of the cage yeah. to climb out. And Hogan starts the match with punches, eye rakes, and biting, showing off the aforementioned wrestling skills. Wrestling skills. Absolutely. I, I always found it strange <laughs> that during this feud, Kevin Sullivan wore the same colors as Hulkamania. Like, yeah, yeah. I always thought that was a little bit weird. Uh, mm-hmm. Giant selling was not good. Um, and, and Dusty, because he's Dusty, and in the last match of the night has to deliver his best line, uh, says, who doesn't have a trick up their sleeves or in their tights? What? <laughs> what? I, I don't even know where that is. Uh, a gigantic backbreaker. Wouldn't every move he does be gigantic? Because, yeah. you know, he's giant. Then Tony calls him the gigantic giant, so he cleared that up for me right away. <laughs> Uh, Irish whip by the giant right into his choke because the Irish whip makes the choke far more effective. I uh, haven't heard that. I don't know the science on that one either. Uh, Hogan came back from the choke slam the same way the giant came back from falling off the roof of Cobo Hall. <laughs> yeah, because those two things are the same. Uh, what I learned in that match was that uh, falling off the top rope and into a ring is far more damaging than falling off the roof of a building because the giant was defeated by falling off the top rope Mm -hmm. uh, and was not defeated by falling off a building. So you can do that. Mm -mm. Um, (laughs) The Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, you talked about that. Hogan had to just because as we found out in other podcasts, Hulk must pose, pal. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah, this pay-per-view was all in all fairly garbage looking back. Again, I remember watching this originally, and and this was before I even got into the business myself. So uh, it was a mark of all marks at this point. I remember thinking this stuff was good. Watching it back now, I instantly regretted going back and just should have left it where it was when it had a fond (laughs) place in my memory. Um, I will disagree. I thought the second tag title match was far better than the first just because I thought there was a better storyline to it. Um, and it made some sense and they, they played the characters that they played in that match and the way they did it were annoying. But other than that, it fit the story they were telling. So I was okay with it. Uh, but yeah, uh, on a, are we doing a Meltzer rating on this thing? Was it five, five stars? Cause this is like, uh, one and a quarter, maybe not a good show. Not a good show. At <laughs> oh, all. over on cage match. The show has a 4.62 out of 10. I feel that's appropriate. So I was going out of five. So I think we're probably yeah. in the same ballpark there. And I threw a couple extra half stars on there for Flair's ass because you can't get enough they- of that. <laughs> Never. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, as we discussed earlier, it is time to decide the fate of a few more individuals. It is time to decide who goes to the rafters and who goes to the garbage heap. Uh, the first, surprisingly, the television champion himself, Johnny B. Bad. Uh, Mero would continue to defend the TV title in dark matches and house show matches, swapping back and forth with Luger for a while, and also appearing on a few episodes of Saturday Night until his final episode on, uh, his final appearance on WCW Saturday Night on March 6th when he lost the title to Luger and left the company. Johnny B. Bad, rafters or dumpster? <sighs> this one hurts a little bit because I was a fan of Johnny B. Bad back in the day. But overall, the scope of uh, what happened with him afterwards and the fact that he's kind of disparaged the whole business since he left. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Johnny in the dumpster. Yeah, I'm leaving dumpster on this just because he hasn't appeared on this show all that much. <laughs> Every all these This entire DDP feud has occurred, I'm going to guess, on Saturday night. So I'm going to vote dumpster as well on that. Second, the one-man gang. <laughs> Gang would remain in the company for another month and a half, but not but would not appear on Nitro or pay-per-view in that time. One-man gang, rafters or dumpster? Okay, I was a big one-man gang fan back in the <laughs> WWE, and, and I liked him as Akeem. Uh, if I'm going strictly by this, because I don't remember this WCW run until I watched the show, but if I'm going strictly by his performance in this run in this match, dumpster all the way. And then light that bitch on fire. And finally... Brian Pillman in quite possibly my favorite professional fuck you of all time. As we mentioned earlier, Pillman outed Kevin Sullivan as Booker during the February 1996 Super Bowl six pay-per-view in an I respect you strap match where the loser announces that respect the other wrestler. Pillman grabbed the microphone saying sarcastically, I respect you Booker man. 
The words Bookerman, as you mentioned, were cut from the commercial tape. Pillman was fired by WCW president Eric Bischoff in February after Super Brawl. In Bischoff's autobiography, he said that Pillman was fired so he could go and develop the loose cannon gimmick in ECW and then return to WCW with more legitimate heat. Bischoff claims that it was a plan that he and Pillman came up with. It would later backfire on Bischoff as Pillman went to WWE instead and then sadly passed away. Thanks, Wikipedia, for that. Uh, Brian Pillman, rafters or dumpster? Oh, this is this this one's a no-brainer. This is a rafters guy right here. Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. On top of everything in his career, he's he's he was a WCW guy to the core at this point. Uh, he was a big part of that company. And then, like I said, this angle, just the way he played Bischoff to yeah. get him to get a release so that he could go to WWE, fabulous work. This guy deserves the rafters <laughs> for that, if nothing else. Yes, absolutely rafters on this. Um, I, uh, I, before, before starting this podcast, obviously I only knew Pillman from his WWF run. I was a fan of him in the WWF, but seeing him, uh, in, uh, here on Nitro over the past few months and just seeing, seeing this loose cannon thing develop and see where he was going with it and just the way he played the character was just beautiful. I was such a big fan of that. So yes, Brian Pillman. To the rafters. And you should go back to a previous Super Brawl and watch his match with Jushin Thunder Liger as Flying Brian, one of my favorite oh. matches from that era. Maybe we'll do that if we get some patrons on Patreon. Uh, okay. Now, let's move on to Monday Nitro. It is Monday, February 12th, 1996. We are live from Tampa, Florida. A tracking Nitro logo takes us to Pyro at the entrance, then over the ring, then in the ring we go to the desk. Bischoff introduces everyone, reminds us that Luger, Sting, Conan, and Johnny B. Bad are still champions. He expresses his shock at what happened with Savage last night. Mongo says Elizabeth had a high heel axe to grind. Dumb. Pepe is wearing sunglasses and headphones. Fuck off. Brain says Savage has a busted body and a broken heart. Aww. Bischoff then narrates a slideshow of the two respect matches last night, then the world title cage match, then the second cage match, which Bischoff calls a death match for some reason. Bischoff promises us Hogan versus Anderson tonight and the debut of Loch Ness. Your opening contest tonight is Savage versus Hugh Morris. Bischoff tells us that next week Savage gets his return match against Ric Flair. Elbow? Still taped. Macho enters the ring and it immediately breaks down into a brawl. In case you are curious, the WCW episode of Baywatch featuring Savage, Hogan, Flair, and more airs on February 19th, next Monday. I hope it doesn't air opposite Nitro. The finish to the match comes after Morris misses a moonsault. Savage hits the elbow, then a second elbow just for good measure because he's that pissed, you guys, and pins Morris for the three count. After the match, he goes for a third elbow, but referee Eller stands between Savage and Morris so that the crowd doesn't get what it wants. Savage grabs a mic and tells Eller that he's right. He doesn't want Morris. He wants Flair. He then leaves, and we go to break. Your thoughts on this opening contest? Well, first off, I have a note here that says Pepe is so cute in his little outfit, so I don't know what your hostility <laughs> I don't know why I have so much hostility towards this little tiny dog. He's just being adorable, doing his adorable dog thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hogan and the Giant from last night was a death match. The only thing that died in that match was the crowd. Um, Randy Savage takes a, takes a real hit, loses his woman, then goes from half main event to jerking the curtain in this one. Um I loved how over the over exuberantly the the announcers played off Savage's entrance as being as being just shocking, uh, even though it was pretty much his exact same entrance just without a hat and glasses. That was pretty much it. <laughs> and a jacket. Stopped. Him. Yeah, but he's so pissed. Yeah, he was stopped. He was shaking hands. He did like pretty much his whole usual deal. Just didn't have a jacket or glasses or a hat on. But uh, Hugh Morris underrated as a worker. Always uh, one of my favorites to watch back in that time, just for the work he did in the ring, his selling and storytelling and psychology was always on point um multiple elbow drops by savage to sell his anger but his anger dissipates as soon as hugh rolls to the outside because just too much work to go get him <laughs> uh, i thought it was a decent short match very physical yep and a serious side of macho that we don't see that much um no hat back no glasses break. of course it was fucking ah, serious super serious Back from break, and Gene is in the aisle with generic white guy Steve Grissom. Grissom sounds positively thrilled about this interview. Up next, Scott, don't call me Scotty Riggs, versus Loch Ness. We get Scott's entrance, then a commercial break, then Loch Ness's entrance. Ness botches a catch spot and just falls on top of Riggs' knees. 
Ness then drops two elbows, like Savage, but not from the top, thankfully, and pins Riggs for three. It's a squash. Who cares? You're, any 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 notes on Loch Ness? First off, I was thrilled because anytime I get to see the race car driver for WCW, I'm all fucking in, as we discovered last there night. There you go. Um, but yeah, Scotty Mail, the American Mail's music. I had forgotten. You always hear how bad it is, mm-hmm. uh, but I had. I, it, it's another thing to experience it. So that was that was special. <laughs> um, of course, that cross body block where he just drops him and fucking falls on him. That was great. Yeah. Um, Squish. It, is it just me, or did Loch Ness sort of remind you as like a precursor to the Duck Dynasty guys? Because <laughs> head to toe camo, crazy beard, fucked up teeth. I, he's pretty much one of the Duck Dynasty guys. I'm, I'm convinced <laughs> of that. But he's from England. They have ducks in England, too. Which isn't where Loch Ness is. Nope. Nope. Not at all. But anyways. <laughs> but sometimes anyway. he's the Loch Ness monster. Sometimes he's Loch Ness. I don't know which to call him. Yeah. Well, or is, is monster just a nickname i don't know yeah very confused gene is gene is at the entrance as elizabeth and woman wheel out a, a gurney elizabeth makes a dumb double entendre basically suggesting that they were fucking all night and to the surprise of no one it's rick flair on the gurney flair's not worried about next week is the basic gist of this insanity flair says sometimes only a woman can say things as eloquently as they need to be said and Elizabeth then cuts an awkward promo, forgetting her lines in the middle of it and showing basically no emotion whatsoever. We then get a graphic for Conan versus a generic creator wrestler up next. Any thoughts on that? Uh, <laughs> Ric Flair on a stretcher? Yeah, that was a little weird. Like, I was talking about your obvious, I know what's going to happen when they wheeled out the gurney. Uh, it was a classic Flair promo, though, just totally insane. And you got to love that. Mm-hmm. That's when Ric Flair's at his best. Uh, and hats off to Liz for showing us why Savage never let her talk back in the day. Because <laughs> uh, that was uh, just uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. So Bad. Yeah, no, no, no more talking Bad. for her. Just, mm-hmm. just take these drugs. Turns out. Yeah, turns out that that creator wrestler is Dangerous Devin Storm, who we were promised last night. His opponent, as mentioned, is Conan. Conan, still 1M, is still wearing really stupid ring gear. Uh, Conan's entrance gear, mind you, actually does spell his name with two N's in the middle. So somebody tell production. This match starts the same way last night's match started. Conan has his back to his opponent when the bell rings and pays for it. Storm drop kicks Conan out of the ring, then baseball slides him into the barricade. He grabs a chair and uses it as a launch pad to leap over the top rope to the floor onto Conan. Then a missile drop kick off the apron. He sits Conan in the chair and then grabs the steps, tries to use the steps as a platform, but gets caught and power bombed on the mats outside. After his initial offensive burst, Storm's role in this match is now feed me into the next spot, feed in the next spot, feed in the next spot. And you can see it just watching him. There's nothing linking these moves together. It's just Storm getting into position for Conan's next move. We get a shot of George Steinbrenner in the crowd. Boo. Eric tells us he's responsible for WCW coming to the state fair tonight. Uh, Bischoff also has to apologize for people on their website believing their humorous post that the WWF was the reason for the power outage we mentioned a couple weeks ago. The match ends when Conan hits a powerbomb from the top and Storm has to roll back into the into the jackknife cover. What a piece of garbage that was. I'm going to say this, though. First off, Devin Storm would eventually become a big part of WCW as a hardcore guy, mm-hmm. Crowbar, and I'm sure you'll get yeah. to that eventually. Um, I thought we saw little hints of that here with a lot of the use of the chair, and that was kind of interesting. Um, it's like Sabu Light. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. That's what he was sort of going for, I think. Um the powerbomb on the floor was stiff. I like that. I thought Storm was a much better stylistic match for Conan than One Man Gang was. Uh, you, yeah. you talked about feed into this, feed into that, but that's sort of what they were going for, and I thought they were actually pulling the moves off tonight as opposed to at Super Brawl where everything was just off a step. So I appreciated that you know stuff was actually at least landing in this one. Yeah. Uh, up next, your main event, Arn Anderson versus Hulk Hogan. Uh, back from break, Anderson is accompanied by a woman. Hogan is accompanied by his eye band-aid. Right in the beginning of the match, right across from the hard cam is a fan with a sign that says Bischoff is Satan. Did you notice that? I did not. Did you catch that but, sign? Uh, <laughs> well, what kind of, what, how, who is going to call a promoter in wrestling Satan? That's never happened. <laughs> 
Uh, Hogan is just beating the shit out of Anderson here, catapulting him into the into the ring's post on the outside, trying to trying to break his arm on the same ring post. Back in the ring, using his wrist tape to choke him, then straight up choking him, really just beating him from pillar to post. Anderson finally goes on the offensive, and the crowd cheers for Flair coming down the aisle with Elizabeth as Anderson tears at Hogan's eye. Anderson hits a spine buster, then gets a two count with a stupidly enthusiastic kick out as Hogan hulks up. We then get another stupid spot where Hogan mocks Flair, then puts Anderson into the figure four. Very strange way. Anderson grabs Nick Patrick as Flair dives in the ring, but instead of getting any offense in, Hogan hooks Flair in a small package. Yeah, Hogan pins the guy he's not in the match against. This idiocy leads to a spot where Woman throws powder in Hogan's eyes, the cloud from which causes Nick Patrick to yell at Woman for a while so that Elizabeth can pass Anderson her boot so he can clock Hogan with it and pin him for three. I'm starting to think someone on the booking staff has a fetish for women's footwear. Hogan allows them to celebrate for all of 30 seconds before jumping up, clocking Anderson and Flair's heads together, and hitting them both with big boots. Savage comes to ringside in what looks like a Keystone Cops or Benny Hill sketch. Savage takes Anderson out of the ring, then throws him immediately back in the ring as Hogan throws Flair out of the ring. Hogan then immediately throws Anderson back out of the ring as Macho hits Flair with a chair outside. Macho then throws Flair into the ring and hits Anderson, who was basically leaving anyways, with a double axe handle to the back. Macho then gets back in the ring with the chair, and Hogan Irish whips Flair into the chair, and Flair bails. Flair then hits commentary and steals Bischoff's headset. He tells Mongo to shut up, so Mongo leaves. Flair tells Hogan that he just got his ass kicked again and talks about how they have the belt, they have the girls, they've got things exactly how they want it. Double A takes the mic to tell us that the sky's not falling. Mean Gene is in the ring, but Hogan runs to commentary to attack Flair and Anderson, who bail. Hogan steals and then breaks Heenan's headset and demands that Flair come back. Gene wanders up from the ring, and Macho and Hogan accept the challenges of Flair and Anderson for next week. Then they yammer on about the randomest of shit, something about Helter Skelter, and then Gene finally gets a chance to send us off the air. Your thoughts on the main event? Well, first off, I, I gotta say, Arn Anderson, still one of the best workers of all time, because he, yes. he made Hogan look like a million bucks here, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. One thing, why was there a random chair leaning up against the stairs as Hogan chased Arn around the ring? It was, <laughs> it was just leaning up there, like somebody was gonna use it, like somebody had brought it down, but nobody actually did. It was just there. I don't know if it was left over from Devin Storm or what, but. Maybe. Definitely a little bit strange just to have that there. I thought it was gonna come into play later, but not really mm-hmm. so much. Um, Hogan cheated it pretty much every turn in this match. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, the face in Hogan seemed to dominate the middle portion of the match, which was a little strange. Usually that's the, the heels portion to get what they call the heat in the biz. Um, so this seemed to be sort of almost like opposite world. Uh, Flair and Liz came out because that's a shocker. Didn't expect that. Um, <laughs> you said Anderson with the most overdramatic sell of a Hogan kickout ever. I almost got the feeling he was mocking Hulk a little bit with that. <laughs> a little bit of a little Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. Yeah, there. a little bit of that, and that might that just makes me love Arn Anderson even more. Um, Arn hits Hogan with Elizabeth's shoe, and, and Hogan doesn't kick out at three and a half, so that was good. Nice victory for Arn. Uh, I know how that angers some people when Hogan kicks out at three and a half, but that's another podcast. Uh, <coughs> Mongo on the commentary said, Liz has gone too far this time. Said Literally said, it's one thing to do it to Macho, but to do it to Hogan is too far. Because, <laughs> you know, fuck Savage. You know, Ugh. don't you dare. I mean, it's one thing to split up with your husband and cost him a championship. But don't you dare cost Hulk Hogan a meaningless match to one of the greatest workers of all time on a show nobody's watching on WCW Nitro. That's mm-hmm. that's a step too far for Mongo. <laughs> uh, his, yeah, Hogan's eyesight showed great recuperative powers. As, uh, right after the assault, he was right back up. Uh, and then Hogan broke his headset. I don't know if you caught that, but just completely broke it in half as he was yeah. trying to talk. Uh, oh, yeah, I mentioned I mentioned yeah, that. And I'm pretty sure Hogan buried the headset afterwards for not making him look good. <laughs> uh, this Nitro left a lot to be desired in my eyes. The three matches before the main event were nothing. The main event itself is actually pretty solid, I'd say. Uh, if you go back on the network and watch anything, I would say make it the world title cage match from Super Brawl and your main event here. Again, I'm recommending a Hogan match, so that tells you about how this episode of Nitro went. 
Uh, do you agree, disagree with those picks? Yeah, because you can never get enough of Ric Flair's ass. So you should absolutely go back and watch <laughs> that match. Uh, also, for me, the highlight of this Nitro was the end with Hogan and Savage just trying to fight to get the last word in. It's I think they were competing. <laughs> All the t- it happens. So you can t- I can tell. I've seen it in previous episodes where it ends with a Hogan and Macho promo where you can tell that you can tell Bischoff is sitting at the desk stewing because they're just going on and on and on. And finally Gene has to go, okay, okay, to the desk. I think Randy won this round though. I'm pretty sure he got the last <laughs> word in on this one. So good on him. If you're going to lose your title right. and your wife, you might as well get the last word in on Hogan. <laughs> there you go. Over on Cage Match, this episode of Nitro holds a 4.77 out of 10 and garnered a 3.7 TV rating. Meanwhile, over on Monday Night Raw... There was no Raw this week, and I don't know why. The fuck? Uh, and so ends this episode of Nitromania. They, they were so intimidated by the, the draw. By the sight of Ric Flair's ass. It was this double cage match <laughs> that they were like, we're not even competing with that shit. No. Nope. Not going to try. Nope. Uh, and so that's it. Jason, thank you for, for joining me this week. I do appreciate you uh, sitting through. 1996 WCW for me. Yeah, I'd love to tell you um, I'd be down to do this again, but after this experience, I'm not entirely sure that's. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll get a few mo- like a few months down the road. I, I hear we'll I hear something happens. fairly big is on the horizon. So, mm. don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, what do you got to plug? Uh, of course, as always, you can catch me every week on the Rundown Flagship Show. We trend we tend to drop it on Thursday nights when uh, we have enough hosts and enough help and enough uh, time to edit the show. That's usually what we do. We did drop a new episode today as we're recording this on a Thursday. So uh, go and check that out where you can hear Troy critique Sal's recording style. So all very, very interesting <laughs> stuff happening there. Uh, also, you pop, can catch me pop the shit out of me. I'll give you that much. <laughs> also, you can catch me on the Rundown sit downs when those become a available because scheduling with wrestlers can be a conflict sometimes i'm working on i'm mm-hmm. working on making that happen a little more frequently um and of course if you well nope the show's going to be over by the time you hear this so you won't yes, be able to see yes, me it there. Will. but uh you can catch me at most apw shows up in salisbury uh ufo shows in the malden area and uh i'm working just around the indies where i can Yes, I said it last week uh, to nobody. I'll say it to you personally this week. The episode, the the sit down with Anthony Green, I thought was fantastic. Uh, if you guys haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that, check that out. Uh, I'm really looking forward to some of the ones you've got lined up in the future based on some of the names that you've given me. So I can't wait for those to come out as well, but we won't spoil anything here today. Um, I will, of course, also mention the rundown sit down on the rundown proper along with WrestleMania Salvation, NXT Revisited, and maybe someday Glow Stick, who knows, right here on this very feed. If you want to see me live and in person, come out to Liberty States Wrestling this Saturday, December 16th at the John McCarthy Elementary School in Peabody, Massachusetts. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can send a one-time donation by going to paypal.me slash rundown wrestling. Or if you want to become a patron and make monthly donations, go to patreon.com slash rundown down wrestling uh also be sure to check out all the shows on the questionable endeavor network like this one right here oh pedro loves tuning japanese what say you my friend menchi and i guess i'm here too if you're looking for wacky reviews of anime check out tuning japanese a podcast for three dudes in their 30s talk about anime Only on the Questionable Endeavor Network. Do they drink, too? Not a little bit. I do. (laughs) And so, unless Jason has anything else to add... Nope, just uh, if you do become a patron of the Rundown, you will get access to our free patron-only episodes uh, as they become available. There's currently one up there. Uh, More Mark Henry. And if you want to know what that's all about, you're going to have to uh, splurge for the, the Patreon. I like how I asked if you had anything else to add. You said nope and then went on. And That's what I do. Talking. But that does it for us. And I do hope you'll all come back next week for another brand old episode of Nitromania. Can I say pull up your socks and get ready or is that – can I just do that? Uh, maybe, that may be trademarked at this point. I'm not God sure. damn it. All right. <laughs>